Thank you for listening to Changed by His Word, a podcast of Pine Level Missionary Baptist Church featuring the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Lee. We invite you to join us each Sunday at 11 a.m. for worship. For more information, visit us online at pinelevelmbc.org. And now for today's message. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. The Bible says, beginning in verse 1, Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things, and what is this wisdom given to him, and such miracles as these performed by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around to the villages teaching. You know, when I think about homecomings, there's a number of things that come to mind. A few years ago, there was a popular television show on TV called American Idol. And it was a hit show. And towards the end of the season, one of the things that they would do is they would air this special episode where the the last three contestants would go back to their hometown for this big homecoming party, this big welcome back at their hometown. Each of the contestants would receive this red carpet treatment. Uh, They were given a new wardrobe. They flew back on a private jet. And uh, their weekend was packed with a busy schedule traveling from place to place and being a part of different events. I mean, fans would come from everywhere to welcome them home, and they would be welcomed with open arms. Many of the fans would be sporting t-shirts with the picture of their favorite American Idol contestant on it. They'd be holding up these signs. They'd be waving banners. They'd be screaming and yelling and cheering just to be able to get a glimpse of their favorite contestant. Now, the contestants would tour their hometown. They'd go back to their elementary school and go back to their high school and to some other special places, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful celebration. You know, there are other types of homecomings as well. I think about high school homecomings. Perhaps you've gone to some of those in the past. It's a time when you go back to a home football game, and you're you're able to watch the football game. You're able to, to see a lot of the folks that you graduated with and able to spend time with friends and just reminisce, just enjoy one another's company and simply have a great time. There are other homecomings, much like the homecoming we're celebrating today, church, a church homecoming. And although this homecoming looks quite different from anything we've seen before due to the COVID-19 crisis, I mean, it's still a time for us to come together and enjoy one another's presence. And when you came on campus today, you were greeted by somebody. Maybe you couldn't see their smiley face, but you knew just by the look in their eyes that they were welcoming you with open arms. And they were glad to see you. And we are glad to see you today. We're glad that you're here and a part of this homecoming service. And we're glad for those that are able to watch online as well. But a time like this is where we normally welcome back former pastors or welcome back uh, uh, members that have moved on to different places. And it's just a time to come together and to celebrate the founding of this great church and to spend time together as the body of Christ. So homecomings are celebrated when people also return from long trips. I think about the trip we took last year, the mission trip to Alaska. 
going to that going on that trip and spending a week on the trip and then looking forward to being able to come back home to get off of that airplane and to be able to see family and friends when we got off i mean as we were walking down that alleyway they were standing there smiling they were ready to welcome us with open arms and if you've been away for any extended time and you come back home you know that that your family greets you with a nice warm homecoming welcome i mean it's a joyful thing but I want you to think and imagine for just a moment what it would have been like or what it would be like to go back to your hometown, to go back to your family, to go back to your friends and receive an unwelcome homecoming. I mean, what that must be like, what that must feel like. I mean, for a lot of us, it's really a, a foreign idea, a foreign concept, and we simply can't relate, but this is the type of homecoming that Jesus Christ received when he traveled back to his hometown, the town of Nazareth. He didn't receive a warm homecoming welcome. As a matter of fact, he received the complete opposite. So for the next few moments, I want to lay three truths on your heart in a message that I've simply entitled, An Unwelcome Homecoming. If you're taking notes, notice first. Jesus' homecoming had purpose. It had purpose. Now, he returned from Nazareth. Uh, I'm sorry, returned from Capernaum to Nazareth, where he'd been ministering. And as we've moved through Mark's gospel, we've seen that his headquarters was right there in Capernaum. He'd spent the majority of his time in that general area. He had gone down to the shores of Galilee. He had called his first four disciples who were fishing. He called Levi the tax collector. He called the twelve, and they began to follow him. Now keep in mind, these are individuals that left everything to follow Jesus. They willingly left their family, their friends, and even their occupation. And it's important for us also to note that everything we find in Scripture is there for a purpose. Here Jesus returns to Nazareth for a purpose. You may ask, what is Jesus' purpose? Well, we learn this from the outset of Mark's Gospel. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the Bible says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That is Jesus' mission. And Jesus taught not only during the Sabbath and on the Sabbath, but he taught continually. But in the text before us, he goes back to Nazareth. It happens to be the Sabbath, and the visiting rabbi would have gone in and taught in the synagogue on the Sabbath. They gathered for a day of corporate worship. Over the past few months, that's something that we have missed greatly. I have missed that greatly. I mean, it's wonderful to be able to to preach to, to folks that are here like you are today, but it's different to, to speak to a camera, amen? But corporate worship was vital back then, and corporate worship is vital today. Here's the reality. You and I, we were not created to wear masks, although we're wearing them for a purpose for this given time. We were created to be among people, to fellowship with people, to love people, to encourage people, and to walk with people. Amen? And we understand that, and, and it's no different here. You've heard me say it before, there's no such thing as a solo Christian. Yes, we're not to forsake the, the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but during a pandemic, things look just a little bit different, differently. And, and, and we're taking the necessary precautionary measures because we want to keep people safe. But I say all of that to say this, corporate worship is vital. We need one another, and it was no different back then. The Bible says in verse 2 that Jesus began to teach in the synagogue. 
And when Jesus taught the people, even his own family listened intently. I mean, they heard him, and listen to what the Bible says. When the people heard him and saw him, they were astonished at what they heard. They were amazed at his teaching. Now note this with me, if you will. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 27, what the Bible says. They were all amazed. Mark chapter 2, verse 12. They were all amazed and they were glorifying God. Mark chapter 5, verse 42. They were completely astounded at what they saw. They saw Jesus and they had never seen anything like him before. They had never seen anyone like him before. And thus they questioned, from where does his wisdom come? Where is he getting this stuff that he's able to convey to us and the things that he's able to do? We know that mortal man cannot do that. So although his homecoming was not a welcome homecoming, his homecoming had a mission and it had a purpose. You see, whenever you come home from wherever you've been, know that you have a purpose. You were created for a purpose. There's many people today that are confused because they don't understand the purpose for which they've been created. And many people are wandering aimlessly through life looking for their purpose, looking to fulfill something in their life or looking for something in their life that will fill the void that's in their heart. Likewise, they were created for a purpose. What is your purpose? Your purpose and my purpose is to glorify God. We were created to glorify God through the things that we say, think, and do, through our occupation, by the way we live. We were created for a purpose. We were created to fulfill the Great Commission. What is the Great Commission? We find this in Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said that you're to go and you're to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And listen to these words. Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's promised us that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. So Jesus' homecoming had purpose. But notice secondly, his homecoming also caused controversy. We don't like that word, do we? Cause controversy. Look at verses 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4 say, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and his own household. Many people recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. Many people recognized that he was indeed the Son of God, and many people repented of their sins. They turned from their sins. They believed the gospel. They trusted Jesus, and they began to passionately pursue Jesus. However, folks in his hometown saw him as nothing more than a carpenter. Now, we can relate to a small town. Amen? It's believed that during this time, the population in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth was between three and 500 people. So when you think about families being fairly large, this is a very small number of families. And these are families that have watched him grow up from birth. And you're thinking right now, you're thinking about some of the folks that, that are even here today that you can say, I've watched him grow up since he I remember him being born right here in this church, amen? 
So we can relate a lot to the town of Nazareth. But when Jesus went back, they saw him as nothing more than a carpenter. It'd be like this. It'd be like somebody graduating from North Johnson High School. I mean, they went through Pine Level Elementary School, and you had them in your class, and you're like, I don't know about that kid. He doesn't study. He doesn't do anything. And all of a sudden, they graduate, and they become a doctor. And you're like, what? That's little Johnny. No, no, that's Dr. Johnny now, right? So you can relate to that. So when Jesus went back, they're like, hey, isn't this uh, the, the carpenter? And they didn't even say the son of Joseph. They said the son of Mary. And typically during this day, it would have been attributed to the father. You know, the, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and, and are not his sisters here with us. So when Jesus went back to his hometown, it was an unwelcome homecoming. The Bible says they took offense at him. Now, mark this down. Mark chapter 3, verse, 20, uh, verse 21. It was back then in chapter 3 that his family traveled from Nazareth to Capernaum. Remember, Jesus was gathered there in Capernaum. There was a multitude of people gathered around him. And what did his own family say of him then? They said he's lost his senses. The New Living Translation renders it this way. He's out of his mind. And they were trying to grab Jesus and take him back home. They're like, hey, come on back to Nazareth. But we've got to keep in mind that Jesus was about his father's business. You see, like many people, they didn't deny Jesus' physical existence. There's folks today that will say, well, I'm an atheist. Or I'm an agnostic. Well, even the de demons believe and tremble. The demons don't deny the existence of God. These folks in his hometown didn't deny his physical existence. They didn't even deny his humanity. I mean, they had watched him grow up. They had watched him play in the yard and build. They had watched him walk and talk and eat and, and, and construct things. And they were those that said, hey, he's a good person. I mean, we believe that Jesus is a good person, and although they recognize his humanity, here is where the problem lies. They failed to recognize his deity. They failed to recognize Jesus for who he is. They failed to recognize him as the God-man, 100% man and 100% God. The Bible tells us this in John 1.1, 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, that is Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, the Bible says that, uh, that, that he, he came and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. They didn't recognize Jesus for who he was and who he is, and therefore they took offense at him. And I'm here to tell you this morning that the Bible makes it absolutely clear that the gospel is offensive. Before you see the gospel as good news, you've got to recognize the bad news first and foremost. You've got to recognize the predicament that we're in apart from the gospel. And what the gospel does is it hits you right square in the chest. Because it speaks truth. That's why it's offensive. The gospel reveals to you who Jesus is and who you and I are apart from a saving relationship through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you hear me from the pulpit quote time and time again, Romans 3.23. Not only do you need to hear that, I need to hear that. We all need to continually be reminded of who we were 
apart from the gospel and who we are now in Christ. And for those that do not yet know Jesus, they need to recognize who they are apart from Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, not only physical death, but eternal separation from God. But the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, praise God for that, amen. While we were walking in our sins, they didn't welcome Jesus back to his hometown, but yet we're walking in our sins, and God's got his arms wide and outstretched waiting for us to run home, to come home to him. That's why the Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But listen to me. Praise God. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then we have these lovely verses in Romans 10.9 that if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Saved from what? Saved from self. Saved from sin. Saved from damnation. Saved from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Praise God for that. So you've got to individually turn from your sin and trust Jesus with your life. And these folks failed to recognize Jesus for who he is. They said, hey, he's just the carpenter. He is just the carpenter. Like there was much controversy in his hometown, there's still much controversy today over who Jesus is. You ask people who Jesus is and you'll get a thousand different answers. Many people will tell you, hey, he's a good person. I mean, he did a lot of moral things. I mean, yeah, I would follow some of Jesus' example, but oh, 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 But you're telling me he's God? No, I'm telling you what the Bible tells us. He's God. He's God in the flesh. So even today, there's still much controversy over Jesus. And the Bible goes on to say that there Jesus was not able to even, even do many things. He said a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown among his own relatives and his own household do what? I mean, that's where you think you'd be able to go where people would have their arms outstretched waiting to receive you, right? I mean, when the world ticks you off and when the world throws fiery arrows at you, what do you do? You go back home, right? But he couldn't even go back home and receive a welcomed homecoming. So his homecoming had purpose. His homecoming caused controversy. But notice third and finally this morning, his homecoming called for a decision. Look at verses 5 and 6. Verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, And he could do no miracle there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. Or some translations may render that he marveled at their unbelief. Now make a side note of this. There's two places in the Bible where we find that Jesus marveled. One is at their unbelief, and the other is at the belief of the Roman centurion. Jesus said, I've not seen any faith like this throughout all of Israel. He marvels at belief and unbelief. So the people of Nazareth they encountered Jesus firsthand. And you've heard me say this before. Anytime you encounter Jesus, a decision must be made. It calls for a decision. Many of the people in Nazareth, including his own family and friends, their decision was simply one of rejection. It was a decision of unbelief. Here's the root of their problem. It's, the root of the problem is still the same today. 
It's no different. The, the, the root of the problem is still unbelief. It was unbelief here in the Gospels. It was unbelief back in the very beginning of the Bible. In Genesis, before Genesis was even penned, it was unbelief from Satan himself. What did Satan want to do? He wanted to be God. And God said, you can't be me. Because there's only one true God. And many folks think that, 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 that the devil and, and God are on the same playing field. They're not. God is sovereign. God is supreme. God is king. God is ruler. And we've got to recognize that. But the problem is still one and the same. The problem is unbelief. So just like back then, even today, there are those who like Jesus, but they don't believe Jesus for who he is. They simply will not bow the knee to Jesus. They simply will not throw in the towel and surrender their lives wholeheartedly to the Lord Jesus Christ. I think Tony Marita nailed it when he said the following. Listen to this, and I quote. He said, familiarity can breed contempt. Or you could say unbelief. Be careful that you get so close and familiar with the gospel that it no longer moves you. Be careful that your faith is just casual and passive. It's not uncommon for pastors' kids to not believe, for missionary kids to become hardened to the gospel. It's possible to be raised in the Bible Belt, but not know the Jesus of the Bible. A familiarity can sometimes lead to a lack of faith and excitement. End of quote. What was their problem? It was unbelief. And as a result of their unbelief, the Bible says that Jesus could do no more mighty works other than to lay his hands on a few sick people and for them to be healed. And you think about leading up to this point, time and time and time again, the people that Jesus had, had healed and the miracles that had been performed, the sick, the lame, the dumb, the deaf, the demon-possessed, time and time again. But the Bible says he could not do any more than just lay his hand on a few sick people because of their unbelief. 2 Corinthians 4, 3, and 5 say this, and I quote, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, that's the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, the exact representation. For we do not present ourselves but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants or slaves for Jesus' sake, end of quote. They encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, you too have encountered Jesus Christ. And it may be for some that are either gathered here or either watching online, this is the first time that you've come face to face with the gospel. But just like the people of Nazareth, it calls for a decision. And you've got to ask yourself the question, what will I do with Jesus? And this is not just for the non-believer, the person who's not yet in Christ. As believers, I believe day in and day out, we've got to ask ourselves the question, what am I going to do with Jesus? Because we've got a choice each day to either walk by the Spirit or to obey the lust of the flesh. Day in and day out, we've got to be focused. So will you reject Jesus today as many that day? Or will you repent of your sins and believe solely on the Lord Jesus Christ? It was an unwelcomed homecoming 
for Jesus that day. I can't even begin to imagine and wrap my mind around what that day must have been like for our Lord. But praise God, that day's past. That day's not going to be relived. Today's a new day. His mercies are new every day. Praise God. And today God's arms are outstretched. The Lord Jesus is our intercessor. He's waiting for people to respond to Him, be it first time for salvation, or maybe you've walked with Jesus for years and you're not following Him the way that you need to be following Him. And God's just impressed upon your heart this morning at this homecoming service that, hey, today's a special day. It's a new day. It's a day that I need to make things right with the Lord. You don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to come running down here and grab a hold of me. Praise God, we, there's not any out here, but you don't have to swing from any chandeliers, amen? You can go right before the Lord in just a few moments when we pray and apply 1 John 1, 9, which says if you confess your sins, hey, listen to this. If you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, amen? That's good news today. You know, in closing, I want to echo the words from a gentleman named Will Thompson that were penned in 1880. Now, some of you are probably scratching your heads going, who in the world is Will Thompson? Listen to these words and you'll, you'll, you'll recognize who he is. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home. Come home, ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. You've been listening to Changed by His Word, the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Lee. We hope that you have been encouraged and challenged by this message. If you have any questions about the message or about your relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact Pastor Brad at changedbyhisword at gmail.com. Thank you and God bless.